Let me ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 7, please, this morning. Mark chapter 7. What kind of person finds grace in Jesus Christ? Is it a person who comes arrogantly knowing that God has to accept him because of all the great things that he has done? Who is it that finds grace in Jesus Christ? It is the one who finds it is the one who comes humbly before him. Do you remember the story of the rich young ruler coming to Jesus? And he wanted to receive the blessings that Jesus had to offer. He had a lot of things in this life because of all the riches and the wealth that he had obtained. But he wanted more. And so he came to Jesus and he said, What, it, what will it take for, for me to inherit eternal life? I want to have riches even beyond this life. And do you remember Jesus' response to him? He said, You know the commands. Do them. And the man responds, well, well, I have done them. I've done them all since I, was, since I was a child. And Jesus says, well, there's one other thing that you're missing. And what I want you to do is, is sell everything that you have and give to the poor. And what Jesus was doing was driving at the center of what was his problem. That is, is that he thought he was good enough on his own. He needed to come to Jesus with a sense of helplessness, a sense of worthlessness. And as a result, the man, the man did not want to give up what he had. He did not want to come helplessly before Jesus Christ. And so he went away sad. The two people that we're going to look at today come to Jesus with, with nothing to offer him except their simple faith. They humbly come before Him and persistently plead to Him that, that He would heal them and that He would take care of their problems. Let's read about them in Mark chapter 7, beginning with verse 24. Jesus got up and went away from there to the region of Tyre. And when He had entered a house, He wanted no one to know of it, yet He could not escape notice. But after hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of the Syrophoenician race, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he was saying to her, Let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And he said to her, Because of this answer, go. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And going back to her home, she found the child lying on the bed, the demon, the demon having left. Again, he went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of Decapolis. They brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty, and they implored him to lay his hand on him. Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself and put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, he touched his tongue with the saliva. And looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he said to him, Ephetha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was removed. 
And he began speaking plainly. And he gave them orders not to tell anyone, but the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. They were utterly astonished, saying, He has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Two times in this passage, we see that Jesus is trying to to go into a place of secrecy. He's trying not to to gain a, a big public image. And so what we're going to see today is that while avoiding popularity and preliminary death, Jesus shows compassion for the Gentiles. And as we've learned in our study of Mark, Jesus' miracles always have a purpose. Sometimes they they, they simply show that He has authority over things. But most of the time, they're they're teaching us a lesson. Like in chapter 2, verses 1-12, through we see that Jesus heals the paralytic. And we, we see through that story that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. He says, the very first thing He says to the man is, Son, your sins are forgiven. And the, and the Pharisees say, but He can't really be able to forgive sins. They're thinking this in their heads. And Jesus says, how can I not be able to forgive them sins? If you think it's easier for me to, to say that, then how about I show you this? Get up, take your mat, and walk. He, he heals the man right in front of them. And and by doing that, he shows that he has power also to forgive sins. The man with the withered hand, there Jesus shows that he is Lord even over the Sabbath, that he is the promised Messiah. When he fed the 5,000, he showed that that he was able to to give to the disciples and the disciples were able to, to distribute to the rest of the people. And these two stories are no different. They're not just miracles just for the sake of miracles. They have a purpose. And so we need to understand what that purpose is as we, we look into this passage. Now what we talked about last week was that, 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 that all food is clean. Jesus showed that in His teaching. That, that physical food cannot go into your mouth and then enter your spiritual heart in any way. You see, physical food does not make us unclean spiritually. And Jesus showed that last week that, that all foods are clean. And now I think what He's doing here with these two miracles in the Gentile region is He's showing that all people are clean. You see, the Jews did not see it this way. The Jews completely rejected those of Gentile birth. And they would not even find themselves in that re- You would not find any Jews in that region. And so that's why it's unusual for Jesus to go into this place with the disciples. He does it, one, so that He can get away from all these Jews and the ones who are trying to to kill Him prematurely and the others who are trying to lift Him up and exalt Him as King, which He he is not intending to do at this time in His ministry. And so the first story we need to look at is how Jesus heals the Syrophoenician woman in verses 24-30. through And we see that Jesus attempts to live in secrecy in verse 24. Look at the second part of the verse. And when he had entered a house, he wanted no one to know of it, yet he could not escape notice. We see this several times throughout his ministry. After he heals somebody, he says, you are not to tell anyone about this. And his purpose in doing so was not that he did not want his name to be known in all the earth. His purpose in doing so was so that he could could maintain a, a small... a a um, a uh, um, a, a ministry that was discreet 
so that people would not uh, make him king by force or destroy him prematurely. Now, this trip that Jesus was taking from Capernaum, the 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 Jewish region, up to Tyre, Tyre was about a 30-mile trip. So probably a day or a day and a half on foot. Jesus brought his disciples with them, with him. And it appears that that ever since the feeding of the five thousand, Jesus was moving away from popularity and opposition. He was moving away from the mainstream Jewish people. We find him in chapter six, verses thirty through fifty-three, on the northeast shore of the Sea of Galilee, away from the Jews. Then here we find him in Phoenicia, and then later we find him in Sidon, another Gentile region, in the Decapolis area which was a Greek area. And then in chapter 8, verse 27 and following, we see him in Caesarea Philippi. All places outside of, of Jerusalem, Capernaum, the Galilean area, because he wanted to, to be discreet in his ministry and, and use this time, really, I think, to teach the disciples more about what was going to happen and what they were to do. Now we see the, the, the need for faith. Why, why did this woman need to have faith? What was her problem? We see it in verses 25 through 27. Let's read verse 25. But after hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. So she had a woman, she had a daughter who had an unclean spirit. That is a demon. She was demon possessed. And she had heard what Jesus had done to, to the Jewish people and how he had cast out demons. And now she was coming to him knowing that he could remove this demon from her daughter. Notice Jesus' response in verse 27. It seems to be a response of rejection. And he was saying to her, Let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. In order to understand what Jesus is saying, we need to understand a little bit more about her ethnicity. We need to understand what the disciples, how the disciples viewed this woman and these people. And then we'll understand what Jesus was saying and why she had to have such faith and why Jesus was so uh, amazed by her faith. So, so notice, notice the woman. Notice her ethnicity in verse 26. Now the woman was a Gentile of the Syrophoenician race. She was a Gentile. She had been influenced by a Greek culture. Now, in order to understand more about her, let's turn back to Matthew chapter 15 with the recording of this same incident, but by a different author. Matthew chapter 15. And Matthew gives us a little bit more of an insight of what kind of woman this was. Look at verse 22. Let's begin with verse 21. Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. So you see there that we're talking about the same incident. And notice what kind of a woman Matthew records she is. She is a Canaanite woman. Now, if you remember from our study from Joshua... Canaanites were despised by Israel, by the Jews, by God, because they were idolaters. They set up idols 
in place of God. And as a result, God said, Joshua and all of Israel, you go into Canaan and you wipe them out completely. Okay? If they are in that land, you need to destroy them completely because I cannot stand their sin any longer. And if you leave any remnant of them, then you will become like them. And what we find in that story of Joshua is that, that they did leave a few of them, didn't they? They didn't completely wipe out all those Canaanites. And as a result, in the later uh, uh, lessons that we see in Israel's history, the book of Judges and so on, we see that Israel was captivated by these false gods by, of the Canaanites. And what we find now is a woman who comes from that race, from those people, And notice what the disciples think of this woman in verse 23 of Matthew 15. Verse 23, But he, Jesus, did not answer her a word, and his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away because she keeps shouting at us. Imagine the animosity that that the disciples had toward this woman. She keeps on begging him, Please do something for my daughter. Please take care of her. Please remove this demon. And the disciples say, Jesus, get rid of this woman. She keeps shouting. Tell her to leave us alone. Now, let's go back to Mark chapter 7 and we can understand a little bit more about what Jesus is saying here in verse 27. Mark chapter 7. In verse 27, because now what we need to do is see what what exactly Jesus is talking about. What children is he referring to? Are there children here in the crowd and 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 dogs? Or what what's going on? Let's read verse 27 again. And he, Jesus, was saying to her, "Let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs." Now, when we looked at parables and some of these analogies that Jesus used, we understand that Jesus speaks often in public for two primary reasons. He he speaks in parables for two primary reasons. One is to reveal truth. He he uses these, we could say, guarded language, these these pictures to, to reveal truth to His disciples. You remember after a lot of, he would speak a lot of these parables, he would take them off to the side and they would say, what are you talking about? What does this mean? And Jesus would tell them the meaning of these parables. So he would do it to reveal truth and he'd also do it to hide truth because he recognized that, that the more truth that these people had, the more responsibility they had to respond to it. And so that hiding of truth in many ways was a, a showing of his mercy because he knew that they had already rejected the light, the truth, and that they would not have accepted it even if they received more. And so he recognized that if they had greater truth, they would receive greater condemnation. And so I think what's happening here in verse 27 is he's speaking in parabolic language. That is, he's speaking in, in a story-type form. He, he's got something else that he's talking about, not literal children here. Not literal bread. Not literal dogs. So what is he talking about? Well, I I think based on my understanding of this text that the children are referring to the children of Israel. That is, Jews. Okay, And the children's bread refer to the blessings that come to the Jews from the Messiah. And the dogs would be referring to whom? 
Okay, think about this. Verse 27. Let the children, the Jews, be satisfied first okay, with the blessings, the bread, for it is not good to take the children's blessings, the, the, the Jews' blessings that come from the Messiah and throw it to who? The dogs. Now, he's not referring to literal dogs here. Who is he referring to? He's referring to the Gentiles. He's saying it would not be good to take these, the, the, the blessings that are, are designed to go to the Jews, the children, and give them to the Gentiles, the dogs. You see what she's asking for? She, as a Gentile, is asking for some of Jesus' blessings. And Jesus is saying, it seems like he's rejecting her. No, it would not be good for you to receive some of these blessings. Now, why do I think that the dogs here are Gentiles? Well, Jews often called Gentiles dogs because they they looked down on them. And this meaning was very prevalent in Jesus' day. But what uh, what, what this lady may have known was that, that this message was going to go farther than just to the Jews. She may not have known she was, perhaps was just showing her faith in Christ. But every Jew saw Gentiles as unclean. And they avoided contact with them at all costs. They would not be compelled to help a Gentile woman. And that's why we find the disciples in Matthew 15, verse 23, saying, push her away. Get her out of here. We do not want to have anything to do with her. But Jesus, on the other hand, had something else that was that he had planned to do in his ministry. He was willing to listen and to help. And we need to understand why. Why would Jesus even take the time to talk to this dog, this Gentile? Now perhaps what he was saying, because we, we can't say we can't think that Jesus is degrading this woman in some way, but rather Jesus has a purpose in what he is saying about this woman. Perhaps what he was doing is, is, is showing the disciples how foolish they were in, in their thinking of this woman. They were saying, Try to, you send her away. But Jesus was exposing their bad attitude by saying sarcastically, oh, you dogs don't deserve anything. The disciples certainly could not have been happy in this territory away from what they had known all their lives. But Jesus, in his response, is noncommittal. He doesn't say one way or the other whether he's going to heal this daughter of hers. And I think the primary reason was to test her faith, to see what kind of person she is and if she truly would put her faith in Jesus Christ. But instead of giving up, she shows an incredible amount of faith. We see her faith, first of all, when she continually asks. Notice verse 26. The second part of the verse. And she kept asking Him. And then when it seems in verse 27 that Jesus turns her away, instead of being rejected, notice what she does in verse 28. But she answered and said to Him, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. You see, she came to Jesus with a sense of humility. Although I am not entitled to sit like one of these children at the table with you, Jesus, and receive all the blessings that they receive, don't I at least get 
to, to take some of the crumbs that fall from the table as a dog. You see, she, she recognized her sense of worthlessness before Jesus Christ. Perhaps the, the quick-witted woman understood her words not as an insult, but as a rebuke to the disciples for their narrow-mindedness that only they received Jesus' blessings and only they deserved them. And she said, but, but even as a dog, don't I deserve the crumbs? Or don't I, can't I at least receive the crumbs? Now, this is the only time in Mark's Gospel that, that anyone refers to Jesus as Lord other than Himself. He refers to Himself as Lord. He, he calls Himself the Lord of the Sabbath and so on. But notice in verse 28, she says, Yes, Lord. And I think that's significant to Mark's message that, that of all people that recognize Jesus' authority, it is a Gentile rather than a Jew like we would expect. Now, why was her faith so great? What was so special about it that Jesus said in verse 29, and He said to her, because of this answer, go, the demon has gone out of your daughter. What was so special? Well, I think, first of all, it was a humble faith. She recognized her place in the kingdom. She recognized that she was not the, the primary recipient of, of God's grace at the table like the children. She came to Jesus like we sing in the song, nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. I have nothing to offer to you, Jesus. You have to, you have to give me the grace that I need to come to you. But not only was it a humble faith, it was also a persistent faith, as we saw in verse 26. She kept on asking Him. Despite the fact that the disciples tried to push her away, she kept on asking Him. It was a humble, persistent faith. God wants us to exercise that same great faith when we come to Him by humbly recognizing our worthlessness that we, just like she, are Gentiles. And we don't deserve a rightful place in God's kingdom. But because of His grace, we can come before Him, persistently calling on Him, humbly coming to Him, in recognition that He alone is the source of our blessing and that we have to receive it from Him. The response of her faith is found in verses 29 and 30. Jesus tells her to go. And then verse 30, And going back to her home, she found the child lying on the bed, the demon having left. Jesus heals this woman's daughter remotely. Without even touching the daughter, without even speaking to the daughter, He heals her, shows His power over all things. And then we see the second story. We saw the Syrophoenician woman, which was a Gentile, but now we see another Gentile in this area of Sidon in verses 31 through 37. Actually, they go through Sidon to get to Decapolis where this man is. Verse 31, Again, he went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of the Decapolis. Mark now goes on to record a miracle that's not recorded in any other part of any other gospel and he's, I think, keeping in with the theme that the disciples would receive authority from Jesus and go out to all the nations. That, that Jesus has gone, first of all, to the Jews, but the Jews have rejected Him. And so now He's spreading the word about Himself to the nations. And He's given the disciples an example that, that hey, we do need to go to the Jew, but also to the Greek, to the Gentile. 
And so he's, he's going into these other regions that they would not normally have gone to. So Jesus moves north to Sidon, and then east across the Jordan, and then south to the Decapolis. Now, he could have just simply gone, gone uh, east and made it right to the Decapolis, but instead he goes north, then, then east, and then south. It would be like us going from, from here to Louisville by way of Pittsburgh. I mean, it's way out of the way. Jesus does it, I think, because he doesn't want to go through the region of Galilee where the, the Pharisees are and where they're trying to, to uh, kill him. Remember, they wanted to, to plot his murder. And so he goes out of the way. He takes the long route so that he stays out of the, the way, but he wants to stay in this Gentile region so that he can have this, this time of secrecy where he can spend time with his disciples. And in verse 32, we find that this man is brought before him. Notice what his problem is. They brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty, and they implored him to lay his hand on him. This man was a deaf and mute man. And they were in the Decapolis, so he was likely a Gentile. And the crowds uh, or close family had, had brought this man to Jesus Christ, knowing that he could take care of him and his problem. In verse 33, we see, we see Jesus' compassion. Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself and put his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, he touched his tongue with the saliva. Jesus shows his compassion. The one thing that we need to notice is that Jesus took this man aside. Those who are deaf are, are often confused and, and frustrated in the middle of, of large crowds. And so Jesus lovingly takes him aside and, and gives him direct attention. And we see that he heals the man by, by spitting and then taking the spit and touching it to his tongue, by putting his fingers in his ears. And possibly he does this because we saw before that Jesus can heal simply by speaking a word, can he not? He can do it by speaking a word, so why touch the man? Perhaps he was showing the disciples that, listen, Gentiles are not unclean. Just like that food we were talking about last week, Gentiles are the same way. Okay, just because you touch a Gentile does not make you unclean. And so Jesus lovingly touches the man and he, he uses a method that he used also, we'll see in chapter 8, verse 28, with the blind man and then also the man born blind in John chapter 9, verse 6. Now notice the result of this. Jesus again wants to maintain his secrecy in verse 36. And he gave them orders not to tell anyone. But the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. Jesus was trying to be low-key. He was trying to maintain a, a discreet ministry, just like he did in verse 24 at the beginning of our, of our passage for today. The same reason he didn't want the Jews to know, that is, that they would make him king by force or they would kill him prematurely, is the same reason he didn't want the Gentiles to know. He wanted to maintain a private ministry with his disciples. That's why he had gone away to these places. Ultimately, he came to do his Father's will and recognized his limitations as the God-man. That he needed to be in a place where, where he was free from all of these people trying to, to, to crush in on him so that they could be healed by him. The last thing we see in this passage is verse 37, the astonishment of the crowd. 
They were utterly astonished, saying, He has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. The people who had been following Jesus did not fully recognize what was going on here. They were much like the disciples out in the boat who saw this man walking on the water and had no idea who it was. They failed to recognize what Jesus had done before. They failed to grasp the spiritual significance. But they make an interesting comment here. They say, He has done all things well. It makes you think back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, when, Jesus, when God finishes His creation and says, Behold, all things are good. And only those who have been touched by the Master recognize His great power. They recognize His greatness. Now maybe you're like this woman or like this man. You don't have a great religious background. You don't sit up at the table with Jesus and receive all the blessings of of having known Him. Maybe you don't know much of the Bible and you didn't grow up in a Christian home. But Jesus still comes to you and commands you to trust in Him. How will you respond? Will you have great faith like this woman as displayed in her uh, her humbly coming to Him, persistently coming to Him, saying, Jesus, you have to heal my daughter. Jesus' ministry is really unprecedented among non-Jews. In John chapter 4, we see that Jesus goes to a Samaritan woman, a person that people would hate, the Jews would hate. And then in Mark 7, we see that He goes to a Syrophoenician woman, a Canaanite woman, a Gentile. In Matthew chapter 8, we find that Jesus... uh, interacts with a Roman centurion. So for you, Christian, how willing are you to go to those people who are unclean? We as Gentiles recognize that that we have received a great blessing from Christ, but we look out on on the people around us and we think, well, well, they are are heathen. They're non-religious God-haters. How can, can we go to them? They don't deserve it. They're dirty. They're wretched. They're they're vile. They're hateful. They're mean-spirited people. I don't want to be around them. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 11, but such were some of you. But you were washed and you were sanctified. That is you were just as heathen as they are now. And for us to say that they don't deserve it is an indictment on ourselves. Because what we're saying in that is is that that we did deserve it in some way. That somehow we deserve God's grace because of what we've done. But, But what God is saying to us today, I think, and what we ought to recognize is that we don't deserve it. Nothing in our hands we bring to Jesus. We have nothing to offer Him. And so these people out here who we see as vile, wretched, unclean people hated by God even, are people who are worthy of God's mercy because are, are not worthy of God's mercy, but, but in His grace, He provides it to them. That's the beauty of God's grace, that it comes to those who are unworthy. And we ought to be willing, like Jesus, to go out 
into the world even where it seems like a place that, that we would not want to be to, to groups of people who we'd not want to live around and give the Gospel to them and allow God's grace to pour out on them just like it was on us. May God help us in this. Let's bow together for prayer. Father, it is great to see Your grace displayed in the power that You show through not only these healings, but also through Your salvation. And we, in many ways, are like this this woman who does who do not deserve the greatest blessings that You have to offer. We do not deserve any blessings. But we humbly come before You recognizing that, that we need You and that apart from You, we are nothing. It's not that the Jews deserve anything more than us. They don't deserve Your blessings either. But, but certainly, Paul said that the Gospel would have to come to them first and then to us. And so we're thankful for those who have gone before us. We're thankful for the message of the Gospel that has spread from uh, the region over there in Israel all the way over to us in the Western world so that we could hear it and that our ancestors could, could maintain the doctrine that was once for all given to all the saints and that the, the people who have been, have you, you have put into our lives would be able to, to explain to us the Gospel from Your Word and so that we could receive it and respond to it. May the response of this truth be that we give great praise to You for Your grace and that we spread the Gospel to everyone around us. That we would not be... uh, That we would not withhold it from anyone, but that we would be liberal in the way that we dispense of it. And we ask that even tomorrow as we use this opportunity with... Uh, the Vacation Bible School postcards that this would be a way in which we can spread Your Gospel to this area. And as a result, that many people would, would be saved and made into disciples of Jesus Christ. And until He returns, we want to be faithful to Him. So we ask that You give us the strength to do so. In Jesus' name, Amen.